Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg, and today we're going to be talking about a couple different things. We're going to start with talking about the recent news that Shadow of War, the Lord of the Rings game that came out last uh, last fall, has now decided to officially remove all uh, loot crates as it pertains to buying them with real money, war chests and such like that. We're going to talk about an interesting... Uh, story from a couple days ago about uh, Kevin Pereira, who was host uh, a long time ago on Attack of the Show. It was a big G4 guy for a while. Well, he's been running this uh, new site, this Twitch channel called The Attack YouTube channel. Uh, I guess media group you'd call it. Uh, he's been running that for the last couple years and how they recently were accused and found guilty of Twitch botting, view botting. So they were basically paying to have people come into their streams. Uh, then we're going to talk about uh, Pokemon Go settling out of court. Uh, Niantic settling out of court for the Pokemon Go Fest debacle from last year. We covered that a little bit uh, last year and what a big disaster it was. And then lastly, we're going to finish it up with uh, the, the yearly tradition of April Fool's jokes. And uh, I've got a, a few of the ones I really thought were neat uh, from the, from a collector from all over the internet. If you don't know, it's it's pretty cool. It's all the game developer sites like to make little fun little, uh, little uh, jokes and little April Fool's jokes, and it's kind of fun. So to begin, we're going to talk about Shadow of War. So... Uh, this is a game that I, I actually have done quite a few stories on, and not, not good. None of them good. Uh, it's a sequel to um, uh, the one that came out a couple years ago, uh, Shadow of Mordor. This one's Shadow of War. Uh, Shadow of Mordor was a really good game, actually. I liked it quite a bit. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, Shadow of War... Well, it's not for whatever reason. I know what the reason is. But um, they decided to throw in microtransactions and this was you know this was the big hot thing you know pay real money for random loot crates and it wasn't just for uh visual items it was for upgraded things that would help you be better at the game so it was really you know really frustrating and and you know something we've been bucking against quite a bit and so and then they also had the fort hog dlc i did a few videos on which was basically one of the team members had died um and to honor him they put him as a character in the game awesome love the idea however they also decided they wanted to charge for it and after charging for it they were donating a piece of the money to the family they never really said how much and it was just a really big thing then eventually they decided to cancel that idea release the fort hog dlc for free and then they were going to um basically raise money in a different way so that was kind of the other story this story though talks about how six months after release shadow of war removes microtransactions so uh again like i said earlier it had it had loot crates it had boxes you could pay real money real world money for these war chests and get a bunch of cruddy dlc and or a bunch of you know little upgrades for the game i guess it would keep you playing uh, I played Shadow War, but honestly, I, I do try to put my money where my mouth is, and uh, I did boycott this game like I did Battlefront 2, unfortunately, because I really wanted to play it, you know, and I think this would be really fun. So I didn't. I passed on it. Uh, and so now what they're saying, though, uh, they had a community post, and this is what the community post said. Quote, the core promise of the Nemesis system is the ability to build relationships with your personal allies and enemies in a dynamic open world. While purchasing orcs in the market is more immediate and provides additional player options, we have come to realize that providing this choice risks undermining the heart of our game, the Nemesis system. It allows you to miss out on the awesome player stories you would have otherwise created, and it compromises those same stories even if you don't buy anything. Simply being aware that they are available for purchase reduces the immersion in the world and takes away from the challenge of building your personal army and your fortresses. In order to fully restore the core promise of the Nemesis system, we'll be permanently removing gold, 
war chests, and the market from Shadow of War. This means the option to purchase gold with real-world money and the ability to gain orc followers from war chests will be removed. There will be a specific amount of time given for players to utilize their unused gold. If players have unused gold by the end of the time allotted to spend it, any remaining gold con uh, will be converted into in-game items. End quote. So, I mean, okay, on the surface, this is awesome. I'm glad that they made this decision. Uh, I, I think it's it's... It's excellent. It's, it's pro-consumer, so I'm happy about it. Unfortunately, though, you have to look at why they made this decision. So realistically, what happened was the server cost to keep this marketplace in place was outweighing the money made from the marketplace. I really can't imagine that this was going to make money over time. I mean, these sort of random loot crates in a single-player game, they just don't work. And I don't, I don't understand why they haven't figured that out yet. I mean, it's annoying in a multiplayer game, but it's been proven to work in multiplayer games. It works in uh, PUBG, and it works in Rocket League, and it works in, well... It would have worked in Star Wars Battlefront 2 if we hadn't thrown such a huge fit. And so in a single player game, though, you don't have that same sort of constantly playing players. So I don't I don't know that player base is not, you know, constantly coming back to the game just for this nemesis system. So obviously that was an issue. So clearly, though, they weren't making any money doing this. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to save face and they're trying to present it in a way that says, well, hey, look, we're doing the good guy thing. We're doing a favor. Uh, now, they ha they haven't uh, shut off the servers yet. They haven't stopped. They're going to stop on July 17th. Uh, my cat. Um, they're going to stop on July 17th, which means about, what does that end up being, 10 months after the game released is when they're finally, nine months after the game released, they're finally going to be done with the loot crates and, and and so obviously it's 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 a pr press now what i also think they're doing is they're also trying to put a push for when they uh, inevitably release their ultimate edition of this game or when they maybe release a dlc pack they want to get some positive press get themselves back in, in in the news cycles so that they can go to people and say hey look our game's better now make sure you buy it or make sure you come around so i think this is their attempt to try to salvage some sales clearly they didn't make any money doing the loot crate system so hopefully that's something they figure out but you know this is just again one of those things that it, it shouldn't have happened in the first place and i don't I'll, i understand where why companies think that but i mean warner brothers specifically like you could make enough money on a really good selling game I, that's what i don't get about a lot of these companies is they don't realize the amount of money they'll make if they just make a good game they don't have to do all these tricks to make extra money. They don't have to do that. And yes, there'll be times in a game like Rocket League, it was a small studio and they had a huge game and they wanted to capitalize on that. But that also makes sense. You want people to be able to customize their cars and whatever. So, you know, and, and people aren't forced to buy it. It really makes no difference. I never bought a, a key or a loot crate in my game. I just played as is and it was fine. And and, and, and I didn't have any disadvantage compared to anybody else. Uh, but then I also knew people who are just freaks for customization. They spent $100, $200 on that game just to look different. It's crazy. It's not for me. It's fine if you want to do it. But that's an online game with a repeating constantly high player base as opposed to a single player game which eventually you're going to finish playing. So that's kind of the, the difference in business strategy here. Uh, so apparently they're also making some changes to the game's Shadow Wars mode. Uh, quote, for players who already started the Shadow Wars, it will restart upon receiving the update. For players who have already completed the Shadow Wars, it will remain completed. For players who have yet to begin the Shadow Wars, the new version will be available when they arrive at that point in the game. Uh, I didn't get that far in the game, so I really have no idea what they're talking about. Um, 
but yeah, so that that's that's pretty much it with that story. But it's it's you know Shadow of War, Warner Brothers Interactive has finally decided to to put an axe to the real world uh, money buying crates. Uh, they're kind of covering up like it's a uh, it's a decision that was made to enhance the Nemesis system, which was the core of the game. But in actuality, it's only working because clearly they're not making any money on it, and they're trying to get a positive spin. It is what it is. So next, then, we're going to move on to talking about the attack, uh, the attack, Kevin Pereira, the, the host and owner, I guess, the, 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 the manager, I don't know what you'd call him, I guess, the, the head of the attack, which, again, to kind of do a little bit of backing, Kevin Pereira used to be a co-host on Attack of the Show, which was old G4 programming, tech TV programming way back in the day, kind of birthed from that. And G4, if you don't remember, was like a gaming channel. It was actually really cool. And, you know, they didn't have a ton of original content, but they had like Attack of the Show. They had um, X-Play for a while. And they had a bunch of other things that were video game related. It was really cool, you know. Um, and, and I wish that something like that could survive. And unfortunately, G4 folded and all the shows got canceled. I actually uh, saw Kevin Pereira live a few times. He used to uh, help out with Nintendo uh, presentations at the GameStop Manager conferences every year uh, for a couple years in there. So I, I, you know, I met him a couple times, talked to him. Seems like a really legit guy. Uh, I like him a lot more than some of the personalities. I like him a lot more than, say, the Adam Sesslers or like the Jeff Keelys. Like he seemed to be a little more normal and tried to be a little more. I guess I don't want to say professional, but he just seemed a little more on the level. He wasn't trying so hard, I guess, if I had to if I had to put it into words. And so he started up in 2014. He started up a Twitch channel. It was basically a media group and it was a YouTube channel, Twitch channel. And he, he and they called it the attack. So obviously a playoff of attack of the show. And so th this was a, a very highly produced media group where they were going to make content for YouTube and for twitch and do live twitch streams and apparently it started off where he was doing multiple t live twitch shows a week uh they have the youtube channel i actually have it up here I'll, I'm, I'm honest uh, I'm, I'm honestly surprised when i look and i see that it only has forty four thousand subscribers which i know that sounds crazy but i know small youtubers that have between 2000 and 12,000. And and, if, and and I know one person who's got like 17,000 and to think that he's got half of the subscribers that the attack does when this is a highly produced lot of effort put into this sort of show. And it looks like uh, there was the Pointless Podcast, which was Kevin Pereira's podcast where he interviewed people in the industry, writers. Um, he had uh, Brendan Small from like Metalocalypse and, and Home Movies. Like there was some really cool stuff here and there's some really interesting content. They did some original stuff like a month ago. They did a trailer for a movie called Dream Goblin uh, that was like it looks like an old, you know, 80s VHS tape filter over like some acted stuff it was fine it's whatever it's a comedy skit and and so but to, to only have forty four thousand subscribers uh after all that time is kind of surprising uh, i i would have thought they would have had more you know i would have thought kevin Pereira would have a little more power than that like um you know a little more uh like crowd um clout i guess if you will like uh you know just would have had more more juice and uh so it about forty four thousand, and then uh so recently on Twitch, he they they started going from they started dwindling. I guess in the early days, apparently they had somewhere around like thousands of views uh, of every show. Better mute that. <laughs> they about uh, they had thousands of views every show, and then it started dwindling. Where you know it was getting down to be 
hundreds, then it was gaming down to be below 100 every single week. I mean, I know very small Twitch streamers and YouTube. I mean, our our podcast, our weekly Twitch podcast, gets like on average 10 to 20 views. So if again, if we're getting a fifth of what you're able to pull, that's really strange. You know, that really makes no sense. And so, uh, I'm trying to to see here. Um, I, I believe they deleted their Twitch channel, unfortunately. So I can't really find out like how many they had, how many subs they had on Twitch. But I would assume it's somewhere probably around YouTube, around the same. Um, so anyway, the story though was that all of a sudden their view count started going from the hundreds into the thousands, and so we had a bunch of people who were, we had a bunch of people who started to um question it and they started to say well hold on like are they are they view botting and apparently view botting is a service you can pay to to have people come into your stream it's basically uh well i, I would assume and i don't know as i'm not not all of them are the same there's many services out there like this but some of them are like you know uh in india and they're like uh they're farms of people sitting in an office and they'll all go on to your channel during a certain amount of time and you pay for that service and they're basically in there and they're interacting and chat and they're just there to show that you're getting views um it's obviously against Twitch's terms of service and it's obviously false because you don't want to give the narrative that, to your advertisers that you're faking views and things like that. So it makes sense. But it was very uh, it was very surprising that someone like him would kind of resort to that. And so these rumors kind of started popping up a few days ago and, uh, and, and then he actually replied on their Discord channel. So this is where they kind of communicate. And so he was replying to someone's message and he said, uh, you're right. Some bot, some never would. I tried to cheat. I was desperate to get eyeballs on our content and help boost the morale of our team, but it was wrong and remains so. I just ask that this mistake doesn't permanently color the love of the hard work I've done over the years. This is Kevin Pereira, by the way. And I hope that in the future you'll be able to trust me and perhaps enjoy my content again. I'm dead to some forever and that's my fault, but I just hope someday you'll be able to forgive me. I understand that's not happening now or anytime soon for some, but I appreciate you even reading this. Uh, I have some obligations left to fulfill, but as soon as that's completed, I'm disappearing for a long while. I've destroyed something I love and hurt a lot of people. I promise I will learn from this and strive to be better. I'm going to dip out so you can all chat without me here. I'll be in our channels communicating with people for a few more. But thank you again for hearing me out. I appreciate the understanding and forgiveness some of you have shown. I also completely understand the anger and sense of betrayal others feel. I hope in time I can earn back your, tr your trust and support back. And okay, um, so a few things pop up from that. One, I think it is fair to acknowledge that he he apologized, and, and I think he, you know, genuinely would feel bad about what happened. I really do believe that. However, oftentimes in things like this, you feel bad because you got caught. He wouldn't feel bad if it gave him the result, the desired result, which was to grow his channel, be more noticed. He would have looked at it as a necessary evil uh, to, um, you know, uh, the ends justify the means sort of situation. And it's, it's really, I'm really quite disappointed. I, I, again, I can't believe that he couldn't, he didn't have more juice. He didn't have more pull. He couldn't bring in more things, you know, and I'm not saying he's like some super celebrity, but he's got enough of following from his time on attack of the show. He should be able to be growing the brand like that. However, when I looked at the channel, you know, a lot of the videos were two other hosts. He wasn't on the, like there was the attack show or whatever, and that never had him on it as far. I mean, I, I looked at a couple episodes. Uh, he did his podcast, of course, but, you know, and he, he played a minor role in the, that Dream Goblin trailer, like he was in there for a little bit. But for the most part, he wasn't the face of the channel, and I think that really hurt it. 
I think if he was being uh, true to that channel, he could have made more of a presence by him being the face of it and having his co-stars as opposed to trying to put the weight on these kind of newer people without the same sort of celebrity clout that he has. And so um, apparently back in, let's see, I want to get this right. Uh, yeah. So he admitted, and he told a polygon a couple days ago, quote, I explicitly said I had nothing left to lose and was very flippant about it. Uh, as well, a way to get discovered on the platform is to have a channel that's getting more views. So instead of trying to make the content better or refocus my strategy with the limited time we had left, I decided to shortcut it and try to get some extra views on the channel. Uh, he did acknowledge that after the view botting, it pretty much means the channel's done. Like there's no trust there. People aren't going to, you know, be down with it. They're shutting down the Patreon. They're going to shut down uh, everything. He said they might put the videos back up on video on demand somewhere. Um, but that's disappointing. I mean, to have a YouTube channel that started with 44,000 views and then, you know, you're, you're growing, you're getting to the point where it, it can be an avenue. You know, it's not like starting from scratch. I mean, when we started from scratch, it was awful. That, that, that first year of trying to, trying to get people to notice your content really, really difficult stuff. And so, uh, he goes on to say, I'm going to try and help the team land on their feet and try to get them jobs elsewhere. Clearly it was a mistake, but my personal hope is that it becomes the footnote. I know it's the story right now and I get that, but I hope it becomes the footnote. I tried to save jobs. I really did. And hope that in the end I didn't do any irreparable damage to people's careers. So, he, he's basically saying that the channel was dying. It was on its way out. He couldn't maintain the costs. It wasn't, you know, there was, there was it, the channel was going to shut down anyway. So to him, it was like a final Hail Mary. Well, you know what? Maybe we can, if we bought and we get a thousands of views, people will see it more on Twitch because Twitch, like Google, has similar sort of algorithms and things. You're more shown to people if you have more people watching. So, you know, it's, he was trying to kickstart it and, he, you know, like, like, like kick it into gear and just, anything to get going so i i respect you know what he tried to like, i don't respect what he did i respect the fact that he tried to make everything right i guess you know he, he he tried to do what he thought was best for people but one of my favorite sayings and i believe it's very true is the road to hell is paved with good intentions and and truly you know <laughs> he had good intentions here but this wasn't the way to handle it. And uh, clearly, and, and he knows that. And, and, and he is admitting that, but again, is he admitting it because he was caught or is he admitting it because he legitimately feels bad? Does he feel bad for what he did? Or does he feel bad because he got caught? That's always the ultimate, right? Like that's always what we strive to understand is did he, did he feel bad because he got caught or did he feel bad because he knew it was wrong? Uh, and so he goes on to say, quote, it sucks and I'm feeling tragically defeated by it all. For three years, we were making some really amazing content and building a community and doing some different, something different on the platform. And it sucks that this action might color all of that negatively, but understandably. So he's not shying away from it. I have to give him credit for that. He's, he's taking it head on. Like he's just, I did it, beat me up. I'm going to put my head down, just punch away and let me know when you're finished sort of situation. Um, so this was something interesting though. Later in the article, he's quoted as saying that he thought it grew too fast. Quote, the attack brand really expanded a while back. We moved to a new studio for a different project. We ramped up and put a ton of our resources into our live stream with the hope that one day we could attract sponsors or take it to TV or do something that could justify doing a big variety show on Twitch. Eventually I had to whittle things down and whittle things down. Uh, he also does blame himself though. Quote, the sad thing is that I told the employees we have a month 
and changed left because it's not working. I personally took my eyes off it for a long while to focus on generating revenue as a production company and doing some other things with the business. I took my eyes off the ball and wasn't able to make it work for that platform. Uh, so again, he's taking opportunity. There is, there's one of the things I was commenting on earlier, actually, is he's admitting that he was trying to raise money and have it be a production company as opposed to just working on content for your show. Like so many people worry about the little details and, and worry about all these things. Just make good content, you know, build it and they will come. If you want to do a field of dreams quote, build it and they will come make good content. People will watch. Hey, I've said this before, make a good game. People will buy it. Like it is that simple. It is legitimately that simple. And yes, things like marketing and advertising come into play, of course. But if you have good content, people will come. And if you have good games, people will come. And it's that simple. That's it. Um, Quote, uh, right now he's talking about helping the other people out. So quote, I have to focus that the team transitions as well of this as soon as possible. I didn't manage to buy the team much time. I kicked up some dust toward the end. Uh, and he says he's going to Homer Simpson into the bush, back into the hedges, if you've seen that meme, for the time being. I have other shows that I would like to take around and pitch down the line, but I need to take some time to recalibrate. So, uh, and then here's his comment. Uh, he wanted it to be known that he was not banned from Twitch. Quote, we decided to delete the channel. We decided to cool it down. At some point, we'll probably make our, our VODs available somewhere else. Luckily, there's still a community that wants us to continue making stuff and wants to see more, but I don't know what that looks like yet. And so uh, I do kind of feel for the guy because obviously prayer, I don't think prayer is the kind of guy where he's got a million things lined up. He's not like a movie star who tried to do this and can always fall back on some other career. Like this is what he's been trying to do ever since being on TV. So, um, you know, so it is, I, I do feel for him. And I, I, when I met him, I liked him and I felt he was very genuine in, in his love of trying to make shows and a sense of legitimacy. He wasn't catering to fans. He wasn't, he wasn't doing fan service. He was legitimately doing content he thought he would like as someone who likes games and such. And so it is disappointing. However, you don't do it that way. And, and, and you don't cheat because as we all know from every story I ever talk about in here, you're always going to get busted. If you try to hide it, you're going to get busted. <laughs> it's just, it's just how it goes. It's how it works. And he's paying for it now. And I do hope he makes a comeback. I know he will. Maybe I'd like to see him attached to another big company. Like maybe he could join something like Giant Bomb or he could join something like that where they they could help him kind of build that up again. And he I think he could be a big part of a good puzzle. It just seems like he doesn't have the 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 know how to be the king of the castle quite yet. I think he just needs to be part of a winning team, not the captain of the team. So then moving on, uh, after talking about that, we're going to move into talking about Niantic, uh, the makers of Pokemon Go. And I believe they're working on Pokemon Harry Potter, I think. Isn't that, or not, <laughs> not Pokemon Harry Potter, Harry Potter Go, or something like that. Like they're making a Harry Potter style game or something like that, I believe is their next thing. Anyway, last year we did a story talking about the Pokemon Go Festival. And if you don't remember, the Pokemon Go Festival was in Chicago, Illinois, and was one of the biggest me messes and botched conventions slash festivals of all time. I think that's fair to say. Um, uh, there, there was an article on The Verge where someone was there, um, Megan Farakmanesh, and she basically talked about her terrible time there. And it, just as a quick recap here, basically, uh, it went to about 20,000 people showed up uh, the first day starting in the morning, Pokemon go died that he couldn't figure out what happened. Uh, they, 
they had lines out the door to get in. Uh, later on, they had just as big a lines to get out because unfortunately people were so disappointed. You had people driving from all over the country to go to this thing. They paid money for tickets. I want to say originally the tickets were $20, but some people were ended up scalping tickets for as much as $400 so that people could go. They, they talked about having a big event where you would have like a raid style event going after a specific Pokemon. All this cool stuff was planned. And unfortunately, none of it worked out because so many people were there trying to access their cellular data. One of the cell like the cell towers in the area died because they had so many people in one area trying to use their phones. That's not their fault, but it was an unforeseen circumstance that quite honestly should have been foreseen. <laughs> and then you have you have the uh, the game crashing. Uh, you had iPhones crashing because there was some glitch when it couldn't connect to too many people or something. So you had an iPhone crash and then something else. So basically, the whole event was just a total waste. The CEO got on stage and was trying to talk about things, and he was getting heckled by the crowd, people complaining. Like again, they they drove hours to be there, and he's got nothing better to say than, "Oh, we're working on it. Sorry." Like, how did you not beta test this? How did you not? I mean, you limited the tickets to twenty thousand. So how did you not have any idea this was going to happen? How did you not beta test an event like this or do a smaller event? Start with 5,000 people and do do multiple regional events, right? And, and have each one have 5,000 if it, if it works. Then you can say, okay, now we're going to do a bigger regional one where we mix the two and it's just going to be one 10,000 person event. And then we'll do a big 20,000 to see what happens. But nope, they just dove right in head first, took all that money, you know, all that money for for you know, preying off of the Pokemon Go craze. And, and let's be honest, it was a mad craze. It has since died down quite a bit. And, and and then they took all the money to, and they tried to capitalize on its popularity as quickly as they could. So, uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, between 10 and noon, game starts crashing. No one's having any fun. It rained the day before, so it's all muddy and sloppy and terrible. Uh, and then... Uh, in the afternoon, like I said, you had the CEO going on stage, getting heckled, um, people screaming from the from the crowd, "Fix the game, <laughs> fix the game!" And then you have, uh, you know, again, people complaining that, you know, they drove hours to be there. Uh, when CEO John Hankey took the stage, there were waves of boos. Uh, after he started his welcome speech, he stopped after a few words, briefly hesitating before he continued on to talk about the weather picking up predictions of rain. And then the crowd got more angry because they're like, oh, now we get to get rained on after this garbage day that has started. Um, so then he was saying things like, hey, we're, we got the whole Neantech team working to try to fix the problems. Sorry, guys, you know, and then people were screaming at him. Uh, and he tried to tell them, hey, remember, guys, this is a... a it's, it's a long day. This is a marathon, not a sprint, you know, and he's trying to smooth everything over like a good CEO would. I don't give him a hard time for that. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, by 1230, uh, John Hankey, the CEO, was signing autographs and someone yelled, screw you, John. <laughs> it's just, uh, it, it sucks, you know, I, I, I mean, but that's what happens when you're the face of a company and that company flubs that hard. It's just how it's going to be. Um, so anyway, that was Pokemon Go Fest. That was last year. You know, that was, that was a long time ago, right? I think it was last year. Was it 2017 or was it 2016? Uh, let's see here. 2017. It was 2017. So yeah, it was last summer, but that's not really the news we came here to talk about today. We came to talk about that Niantic settled the Pokemon Go Festival lawsuit for $1.5 million. So besides the fact that they refunded everybody's tickets, 
they gave everyone like a hundred dollars in in-game money if you did scan some code or something so they did all that so they refunded all the tickets they gave everyone like a hundred dollars in pokey dollars or <laughs> whatever you call it i i played pokemon go for like a minute i thought it was so dumb and uh um and then there was a class so then there was a class action lawsuit though that came up now they uh they have settled that for the for the amount of 1.57 million and let's see the payout will cover hotel and transportation costs for many attendees whose event was ruined by connectivity and logistical problems uh so basically if you went to the event you had to join in and oftentimes with most class action lawsuits like we talked about the playstation 3 one a couple weeks ago uh or last week was it last week uh doesn't matter uh when we talked about it last and that one was another class action lawsuit where basically we're all getting like 60 bucks and some lawyers somewhere making millions off the deal uh so i want to see if they have the uh there's a pay apparently an official statement here uh oh it's gonna be by may 25th there will be an official settlement website set up so you can go there and like apply for it and stuff um so yeah so so it wasn't just that it was a mess and they refunded all the money they lost their their they lost a ton on this event let's get real they lost a lot if you have to refund everyone their money and then they had to settle in uh, a lawsuit so niantic pokemon go fest settled out of court the lawsuit for 1.5 million dollars <laughs> uh well that, that that should be a pretty expensive lesson i hope they learned uh not to mention what they had to pay to their lawyers to try to fight it so that was probably another million so i really i don't know pokemon go too i mean it was an interesting story because it was huge it was like the the most amazing explosion of popularity in a short amount of time and then just died almost as quickly and there's still a lot of people that play it and people really like it and they're still doing updates and adding things but man how do you take one of the greatest ideas ever and you just botch it and and it, when i played it in the very beginning it was plagued with terrible terrible connectivity issues always having issues bugs it just killed your battery you couldn't play it when your phone was minimized so you had to leave your phone on screen just eaten away uh, at your battery and and it was terrible and i never had a good time with it you know but it was crazy i remember here in green bay there was like some sort of downtown the downtown bar area downtown green bay had a um, had like a pokemon go fest themselves like it was basically like a bar it was a bar hop pokemon go bar hop and uh and a pub crawl sorry and uh t you might recognize that term better and it was a pub crawl and every bar on washington street had like pokemon events and there were and it had to be thousands of people walking up and down. It was nuts. I couldn't believe it. And I saw other people there who I normally wouldn't have seen out and about. I mean, I shouldn't have been there. I wasn't only about. The funny thing is I was actually there because uh, that was the weekend of KitsuneCon. And I was only there because Jared was up. Uh, Pro Jared was uh, was back in town. And so we were, we were getting some hangout time since it was right next to there. So we went down to get like a slice of pizza. And people were going nuts on this Pokemon pub crawl. Uh, so it has since... Uh, declined a lot in popularity but it's still really popular and uh but man what a, what a crappy broken idea that really sucks i am excited for a new ar game apparently coming out that's a ghostbusters themed one though i don't think it's by niantic which is probably a good thing and it's a ghostbusters one go around and hunt ghosts and stuff i think that'd be sweet but uh anyway so niantic settled the pokemon festival pokemon go festival lawsuit for 1.5 million dollars and then lastly we're going to talk about the April Fool's 2018 roundup. So this is a this is a pretty big tradition now. It's been going on for a couple years, and this is where a lot of the game companies, your Activision Blizzards, your uh, EA, all, all these small companies are getting in on now. CD Projekt Red, all these companies get into it. 
uh, and basically they make a really cool April Fool's joke, which sometimes are very obvious and sometimes aren't. And it's really, really funny. And, and it's, so it's fun. This year it kind of sucked because it fell on a Sunday, an Easter Sunday no less. So a lot of the great articles that would have went live on that day, I don't think did. A lot of people started doing them on Friday and Saturday, which kind of killed the vibe since you were like, well, wait, is this an April Fool's joke? Because April Fool's is tomorrow or two days away. Or, or some people did on Monday, and you're like, well, it's the day after April Fool's. It kind of makes no sense. And so, uh, but but we what I did was I found a bunch of the ones that I thought were really interesting, that I thought were kind of funny, and uh, and I want to share them here with you. So first, uh, I want to talk about uh, Capcom. So Capcom had an interesting one called uh, that. They, it basically was a release of a new game that was coming out. And it was Mega Man Date My Robot Master. And it was a it was a joke off of all these dating sims and graphic novel games that have been coming to Steam lately. And it was a Mega Man Date My Robot Master. So you've got like all these pictures where it shows like a, a female uh, Mega Man or a female uh, uh, Mega Man bosses like Splash Woman and Woodman. And but it's drawn in that perfect, you know, deviant art anime style where, you know, and it's just got like options on the side and it's using the perfect you know, Mega Man borders and stuff. It's just really, really cool and funny and Gemini man. And, 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 uh, <laughs> and like there's a phone and you're getting mysterious texts from a robot really well done actually. Cause he had screenshots, which helps sell the illusion, but then it was a hilarious idea and it was, it was funny. You could technically see this, like it could be reasonably realistic. Like I could see them making this, like if, if this was real, I wouldn't, I would go, Capcom you suck but I wouldn't be surprised I would just like make fun of them for it so that was pretty good and then one of my other favorite ones and this one actually legitimately tricked me because I'm an idiot and forgot what day it was so I was checking my emails yesterday and I got a, a an update from Bloodstained so Koji Igarashi ex-Castlevania guy working on a new game for the last couple years called Bloodstained and it's supposed to be like a Castlevania type game. Looks really good. Kickstarted made a whole bunch of money. I think at the time it was the most Kickstarted video game of all time. I paid like $300 for a signed collector's edition. Like I went balls to the wall on this one. Uh, probably stupidly. So, and uh, so anyway, I... Uh, I get an email from the Kickstarter saying, here's an up a project update. And it's like, we've, we've had a new feature we've wanted to roll out for a long time. And I know when I tell you this, you're going to think, how stupid are you to think that this was real? And like I said, I thought it was real for about a second, but it still tricked me for just that second, which is what a really great April Fool's joke should do, right? And and I wasn't expecting it to come through Kickstarter, and I probably should have, but basically they said, you know, we've been working on this for a while, and we're so excited to announce it, I'm going to pass it over to the head of marketing, whatever. And so the head of marketing guys says, oh, we've been waiting on this. We're really excited to announce that now while playing Bloodstained, you can actually mine cryptocurrency. And you can, so we're adding it into the game. It's going to delay the game, uh, you know, a decent amount. It's going to take some, some resources from other parts of the game, but we really feel like this is a good feature. And I remember as soon as I read that, I was enraged. I was like, why would you, how stupid is that to have cryptocurrency mining in a video game? Like, what is wrong with you? And then obviously, I came to my senses, realized what's going on, but for that moment, it was perfect. And so that was one of my favorite ones, uh, Bloodstained announcing that they were adding cryptocurrency mining to their gameplay as an April Fool's joke. Uh, so that was great. Um, and then as I was perusing the web that day, 
another one that came across was great. PlayStation Asia put a picture up and said, ever wished your PlayStation gaming experience was a little less digital and a whole lot more analog? With all new non-animated graphics and zero AI, PlayStation The Board Game will let you experience the mild thrills of moving game pieces on cardboard. Who needs a headset when you can just shout angrily at your friends across the table? And then it said, PlayStation The Board Game features non-4K resolution game board, pens and paper to draw your own trophies, rule books, six of them in fact, intense local multiplayer action for up to four players, large and small dice, so many dice. Um, so then it said, look out for PlayStation the board game, the video game coming soon. Uh, and there's a good picture of that too. It's it's a neat mock-up in Photoshop, but it's great. Just a, a bunch of little game pieces that look like DualShock controllers and dice. And the board just is like a space age looking board with a bunch of circles, squares, triangles, and X's on it. It's just incredible. A bunch of playing cards or trade cards that uh, have the PlayStation logo. It was really well done. So that was another one of my favorite ones. I thought that was really great. Uh, and then we had, this one was, I thought was really good because I played the game. So way forward, I did a, a Greg plays a few months ago on the mummy demastered. So if you don't know the mummy demastered was, they came out with that new Tom Cruise movie. The mummy looked terrible and they decided to make a game based off it, but they called it the mummy demastered. And it was actually like a 2d side scroller. What way forward is known for making incredible games of, and it was actually really good. I liked it. It wasn't the best, you know, Metroid or Castlevania style game I've ever played, but it was fine enough. And it was always fun. And then they, uh, so their April fool's joke from way forward was that they proudly present the mummy demastered, remastered and then it showed a screenshot of the original game and they talk about how you can experience the 2017 classic of yester month now in hd it's not yesteryear yester month all new audio tracks featuring fresh lyrics and live kazoo orchestra exclusively for turbo graphics 16 sears telegame systems and the atari jaguar available wherever game tapes are sold <laughs> and it says pre-order today release date april 1st 2018 and, uh, and so it shows a picture where basically they took the uh, pixel style graphics that were originally in the game and they just kind of made them look like hand drawn, almost like a, like a hand painted sort of graphic. So it's really stupid, uh, really funny though. That was a really good one because the mummy demastered was already kind of a weird title and kind of stupid. And so the mummy demastered remastered was, uh, was, was pretty funny. So that was a good play on the people criticizing them for making it in the first place. Um, and then, uh, we had this smite uh smites a, a, a MOBA uh, one I actually used to play a lot it, it plays in third person view though so you're not in the aerial cam you're down on the ground and behind your character so it plays a lot like WoW PvP I guess is how I kind of compare it but it's still a MOBA and uh so it said smite god reveal Fenrir the next god and this was a funny one because Fenrir obviously has been out for a really long time but this and, and it, it did the video just like they do all of their reveal videos where they have this the woman narrating and she does this awesome job and she talks about the history of the god so it talks about Fenrir and it talks about how these 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 uh, brave people known as data miners <laughs> went into our game code and found the reveal because that's how Fenrir was originally leaked was data miners found code for the character in the game. And so it was like a play on that. And it was kind of funny, you know, they're poking fun at the people who dig around in their files, looking for hints at what the next God might be. And, uh, and to acknowledge that they even animated it, you know, like this, this, this took some work. Like this probably took one guy a week to make, you know, and it was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> and uh, so that was pretty funny um so i thought that was good i like that one a lot and then lastly this one i have to admit it wasn't like the best one that's not why i saved it for last normally blizzard has the best easter eggs of all time uh or the best uh april fool's jokes 
and I'm going to bring it up here. So, so they usually have the best April Fool's jokes. Like, Blizzard always does a really good job. And this year, it was almost all just World of Warcraft. And I guess that's fine. You know, World of Warcraft's a huge game. I don't have any problem with it. But they talked about... They did this one called Micro Holidays, where it was just like a, it was like a page of, I don't know, 20 different micro holidays that were coming to the game. And they were all kind of not funny. I, I really hate to say that. The only one that I thought was kind of funny was at the end, they said more holidays to come. And it was like, you know, National Mailbox Dancing Day and stuff like that. But uh, there was a future time walking event where, you know, the joke about you're going to in the future, you'll be able to go into the past and do what you're doing right now <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, for Overwatch, there was nothing. It was kind of weird. Uh, uh, Hearthstone, there was a apparently a month-long event that was a Murloc language version, but appears to be a real post about a month-long event that's actually coming. For Heroes of the Storm, there was nothing. For StarCraft II, there was nothing. Um, for StarCraft Remastered, there was nothing. And for Blizzard 3, there was nothing. And, and it sucks because, like, if you could go back nine years for some of the best Blizzard jokes, like, of all time, there were some really good ones. Like, last year, um, let's see here. Uh, last uh, last year wasn't a whole lot, actually. 2016, they did uh, the Frost Doge Clan as opposed to the Frost Wolf Clan. Uh, they had a new service in the game called Flight, which was a play on Lyft uh, that you could have players could drive other players around in the world. Um and then there was a, a Hearthstone MMO announcement where obviously we're going to turn Hearthstone into an MMO, but that would make no sense since Hearthstone's, you know what I mean, based off of World of Warcraft. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so there was some funny ones. There have been some really, really interesting ones in years past. Um, 2015 had, um, let's see, like a, a, a Tinder matchmaking application that would help you find love in the game like stuff like that there's really good you know um and this year was kind of a letdown i hate to say it it really really sucked um but yeah so anyway uh that's kind of a roundup of what i thought were some of the best and worst of the april fools jokes um yeah man i uh it's, it's always a good time and it's always fun i think if it falls on a monday like it will next year uh i think next year it falls on a monday but uh I'm going to double check because I'm curious. So next year it's on a Monday. Yeah, like it should be. So it should be a little bit better because you've got people in the office, people working that day. It'll be a little more fun, you know, and on a Monday morning, it's fun to have kind of the surprises and stuff. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of neat, I think. So yeah, that was kind of a roundup of what I thought the best and, and worst of the, uh, 2018 April fool's jokes from around the, the gaming verse as it would be. So that's the end of the podcast, of course. And lastly, we're going to talk about another game because I do this every week. And this one is more of a love-hate relationship, so I can't really say that you have to go out and play this game, but I want to talk a little about the history of the game because I have a history with it. So, Spider-Man for the Atari 2600. So this game, uh, I played it when I was very young. So the first video game system I ever played was the Atari 2600. However, we didn't own one. My grandma had one at her house, and I believe it was my Uncle Tom's who had bought it, and when he moved out, they left it there. Um, and this was one of the games they had. They played a lot. My first game system technically was the ColecoVision, and then we went on to the NES after that, and that's what ballooned into my obsession today. Um, so Spider-Man though, this is a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. So you, you basically fight the green goblin as it shows on the cover. You start off at the bottom of a building. Think of you that looks kind of like the game rampage, except instead of being a monster that crashes the buildings down, 
you have to get to the top of the building safely. So you're you're web shooting up the side of a building. You just have one button to web shoot. You like you press and hold it. It does a longer web, and then you can swing side to side, cut the web, and then shoot another one. And then you've got these just jerks of New York who open their window and cut your spider web to get you to fall down. I, I don't know the hell everyone there is like from the daily bugle or something but uh so they're always trying to cut you down you basically have to to skirt up when you get to the top of the building there's like or i should say a more difficult part of the building are like these girders and you can't just shoot straight up like you can if you get between the windows on the buildings um let me see if i'll get you some of the screenshots here <laughs> you can kind of see how about the right side up so you can kind of see um you know what the game kind of looks like there uh you know obviously very primitive it's it's the atari 2600 so we're not expecting a lot and uh so you get to there's these girders so it's a little more challenging because you have to like swing and then go up and swing and then when you get to the very top the green goblin's up there on his on his jet just flying back and forth and you have to get like past him essentially so you just have to like go to this door that's on the very top of the building and that's pretty much the whole game uh and it's really fun i don't know i mean it's probably not very fun if i play it again today but it was fun back in the day and i had kind of a personal story it was one of the games in my grandma's house that i played so it's one of those ones that holds kind of a special place in my heart and uh you know and it's spider-man who's actually one of my favorite uh, superheroes so it's cool and like it has that perfect like old spider-man cartoon cover art like that's just that's just gold and you know like that's just that's money that's good work um and it was really fun. So, uh, as always, I appreciate everybody for, for watching, listening. Uh, if you can, if you haven't already, if you don't mind, we'd love to have you subscribe to our YouTube channel here. If you can subscribe, like, share, anything like that helps us. If you're listening on iTunes or on SoundCloud, you can go to droprate.life. That's the link to our YouTube channel. And if you could subscribe to us on YouTube, even if you're not a big YouTube watcher, we can use all the views and subs you can get. We'd always appreciate any of the support. Uh, and, uh, and of course, uh, if you, if you're looking for an audio only and you see this on YouTube, you can find us on iTunes. Just look uh, for uh, game talk radio. And you can also find me on SoundCloud as game talk radio. Just look for the little, the little mega man version of me with the, with the shirt on. So, uh, as always, everybody, I so much appreciate all the support. Thank you so much. You guys are great. We'll talk to you again next time. Have a good day. Bye-bye.